Recording in progress. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, welcome. We uh, we're gonna get started, and I just wanted to talk about just really discuss about fear. Uh, because I think it's so important that I think that it doesn't hurt if we we talk about fear more than once, um, that we reiterate what that looks like, maybe share my experience with fear and, um, you know, go into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and really see what it says about fear and then uh, bring the big, big, the big book into it, bring the Bible into it and uh, see what God has to say about fear as well. So, I'm just going to, I always have trouble finding um, the small books of the Bible, um, but I'm going to be in uh, 1 John a little bit, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, so um, when we look at the disease of addiction, when we look at um, the problem that brought many of us to our knees and into the room and um, really at rock bottom. I, I, I think that rock bottom for most of us is death. Uh, but I think rock bottom is when you, you know, put down the shovel and are willing to do something different and get help. Um, they, they, we, we read on page 23 of the big book that our, our, the, the observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. So we're talking about this this illness, this disease that takes uh, so many lives. Um, when I put a substance in my body, I have a physical reaction to that and it produces a craving for more. And uh, whether that's food, whether that's sex, whether that's pornographic material, whether that is alcohol and drugs, um, there are chemicals released. And so uh, when I put alcohol in my body, my body doesn't break it down like a, like a normal human being would. And um, the stat says one in 10 of us have this problem with alcohol. Um, but what happens is my body's trying to break it down. And so uh, it can't do that effectively. So it actually um, goes, if we have more of this, it's going to cause us to release more of uh, the, the enzymes and, and the, the things that are going to break it down. So it makes me more thirsty. It's kind of like that kind of thing where it's producing a reaction to get more of it to be able to break it down. Um, so that's what happens is, is that physical thing starts to, um, take life after, you know, the first or second beer and, you know, the, the fifth beer, I'm more thirsty than I was the third beer and, and so on and so forth. And so they're saying in the, in, in our material, it says that's not even a problem if you never put it in your body. So what's the real problem? Why do you, why do you keep going back to it when you stop? So, so basically the problem is once I start, I can't stop. And then once I stop, I keep on starting again. And it's this horrible cycle that I actually have no power over. And so it says if that observation, it, it would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started the last bender, the chances are you could uh, offer a million uh, excuses um, why he started or why we start back. Um, we can all come up. We we all have our own um, our, our own stories with that, our own experiences of why we started back again. We we can't actually 
pinpoint why if we could then we wouldn't uh, engage in that activity um, so so here we have this this powerless part here we have this um, part that starts in my my mind and where my mind goes my action goes um, and and then the real underlying problem is this uh, unmanageability. I have this unmanageability in my spirit. And so I am irritable, restless, and discontent, which drives the, the, the mental obsession, which causes me to engage in the physical, um, allergy, if you want to put it that way. So th this is a very complex problem, um, with an easy solution. It, it's, it's not, it's not without effort, it's with great effort. It's like God's grace is, is free, but it requires a ton of effort. And so what does that effort really look like? The effort of really putting me to death, really really understanding of what's these blocks that I have to God and being free of that, giving that over to God uh, for him to do what you can't do for yourself. So this problem centering in my, my mind. And when you look at warfare if you look at you know maybe you've seen some stuff recently on the news and and maybe you've seen some you know people being captured in other countries uh and maybe you've watched a movie or two just like me and you've seen where they're they've captured a spy where they've captured you know maybe a member of parliament or a, a government official or a high-ranking military um, operative. And so what they want to do is control the mind of that person to get everything that they know, uh, to inform them so that they can have, uh, uh, you know, a leg up in the battle, in the war, um, or, or over a country. And so it's very important to get mind control of that person. So what they do, um, from what I've seen in, in movies and, and some of this stuff is illegal to do, especially in, in our country and United States. And, and they try to get away with what they can. Uh, but there's countries where they're, they'll torture people. They rip off fingernails. There's a thing called waterboarding. Um, you know, the drips on the forehead there, they, they keep the strobe lights on for, for 14 days in a row with screamo music going, uh, they put rats in the room and spiders in the room. And it's like this, they're trying to get in your mind to control your mind. And so what happens if they can get your into your mind and into your head, then they can get everything out of there. Then they have control over you because whatever's controlling your mind can control the rest of you. And so I, I've seen movies where like the CIA is like, there are, they are trained never to give the enemy permission to come into their mind. And that's incredible. That's incredible training. And, and they go through, you know, torturous environments made up from their own people so that if they ever get captured, they're not going to be prey to the enemy. Um, so they can actually die a free person without the enemy, you know, having mind control over them. And so really interesting concept of how the enemy actually comes into your mind to control your mind. And so um, if, if you're somebody sitting there right now and, and you can't control your thinking, you know, the, the enemy's there, the enemy of addiction, the, the spiritual enemy. Uh, if you can't settle your mind down and, and calm your mind down, then who's really controlling your mind? And so this is what we need a break from. 
When my mind's going a hundred different directions, a hundred miles an hour, I'm full of fear, insecurity. I, I don't feel good about myself. I, I feel like there's something happening somewhere else and I need to be there and, and I'm irritable, restless and discontent. I need a break from that. And so I personally go for the drugs and the alcohol and the relationships and, and all of that stuff so that I'll be okay. So this is how it happens in my in, I was reminded of this this week and I hate sharing this story because it makes me look really bad. It makes me, it, it makes me laugh, but at the same time, it, you know, I, I've always been this tough guy. I've always been really quick to respond and um, I, I never back down from any situation and I show you that I'm not fearless. Uh, but what I've come to realize in my own recovery, all of that facade, all of that that bravado was all built on a foundation of fear. So I really cared what you think about me for me to be okay. And I have to be seen a certain way for me to be okay. But it all centers in fear. It all centers in my mind. And so um, I grew up as a, a as a, a adoptee and, and was carted all over the world. I had a beautiful upbringing with parents that were missionaries. So I got to travel the world went to Asia, lived there for nine years and saw a lot of cool things. And, and so I had that experience. I, I grew up in the church and, and, and grew up in the missionary field. And then when we came back, it, it seems like a very hostile environment when you come back and, and, and uh, don't know who Corey Hart is and you don't know the cool clothes and you're not allowed to go to the school dances. And, and so part of me was like, just really want to fit in. And, and so we would go to camp, these summer camps as, as a youth group, like in, in church, you have your congregation and then all the kids have their own little church thing. And so we, we went to uh, summer camps. And so one of these camps, we went, we went to uh, a, a New York city camp and it was really cool. Like they had, there was a ton of people that probably 200 kids. And, and, uh, when we roll in there, there it's taco day. Like right when you get off the bus, it's like, they're just giving you tacos. And this is like the best experience that it could, could have. And they got zip lines and they got this blob in the, 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 the lake that when you jump off of it, somebody's at the end of it and they go flying like literally a hundred feet in the air. They got like so much fun stuff. And um, we had a blast there. And so from what I heard, we, me and my brother are a little bit like hyenas. Like we don't really have an off switch and we're just going to go and go and go um, until we can't, until, you know, we get in trouble. And so there was, our cabin had about 10 of us kind of very similar. And so what we did, we, we would go and raid other people. There, there was some, some heavy competition. There's some lacrosse players. There's, you know. We were the Canadians and the only group of Canadians in the whole camp. And so we would, we would challenge, you know, like at 11 o'clock at night, everybody's supposed to be in bed. And we would go challenge people to pillow fights, like cabin pillow fights. Like we caused chaos. Um, I thought it was just good fun, but we, I actually heard from our youth group leader that we actually got banned from the camp. We weren't allowed back. Uh, we caused a lot of trouble. And so uh, being, being that kind of kid you know, on the bus ride home. And, and there was probably, probably about 30 of us that went from, from Ottawa, from our church. And, and there was a bunch of the girls and, you know, they're attracted to the, the rough pillow fighting boys. Right. 
And so he, we're just always chatting up the girls and showing off a little bit and, and, and being those little lions of, of who, who can, who's the strongest of them all. And you're kind of showing off all the time. And, and that's like that spiritual sickness that, that I always had um, before I even started drinking. And so we get to, I think it was Watertown. Uh, right before the border um, to Canada. And uh, we we go through the mall, through this little mall, strip mall or whatever, and we're just taking a water break and getting a little bit of food. And um, we, me and my buddy, Ron, we come across this jewelry store. And this jewelry store is selling diamond-studded earrings. Diamond-studded earrings for like 50 bucks. And we're like, we got to get earrings. Like, obviously, like that's, this is God speaking to us. You must get earrings. So we buy the diamond studded earrings. We go to the, you know, the, the hair band boutique. They got the banana clips. They got the hair bands. They got the extensions for your eyelashes. You know, the girly store. They got all that fake jewelry, but they pierce your ears there. And I think it was like, we each had to pay five bucks or 10 bucks back in the day. And, um, I have a lot of anxiety around sharp things like needles, just needles. Like I've always had this problem when, when you grow up in Asia, you get needles by the, like, it seems like by the hundreds, you got to get vaccinated like 30 times just to go, uh, overseas. Uh, I don't know if anybody's, you know, traveled to Jamaica or Dominican or whatever. You got to get a bunch of needles. So I grew up with that and, and I was horrible at it. Like I would scream and cry and, and just like it was a it was a train wreck every time I had to get these needles. So coming into this situation, I thought, you know, I'd be brave enough to get my ear pierced. It can't be that bad. So my buddy goes ahead and, you know, you got the 14 girls all crowded in uh, into this one little boutique store. And my buddy Ron sits in the seat. They put a little X on his ear and they go like it's like a gun. And he's like you know, doesn't really react. And he's got this, you know, little uh, stud in there, little uh, metal stud, you know, by the time, you know, it grow, it, it, it heals up, then you can put our, our cool diamond earrings in. And so now we got a little bit of a crowd gathered of all the girls and I get to sit down and I'm very anxious in, in my gut. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm scared. And it's fear. This is, this is fear. I, I'm fearful of, of getting hurt. And so what happens is that I get the little X and I get the gun and I take a deep breath in and it goes, and she goes, Oh, and she just did that. And in my head, this is what happened in my head. The stud was now in my neck, right in my jugular, wherever my jugular is, it hit it. And it was spraying blood. That is what's happening in my head just by her reaction. And then all I heard was from the crowd of girls, oh, he's turning gray. And then I couldn't see in front of me. I couldn't see the rack of hairbands. And I'm like, what's happening to me? I'm bleeding out. No one's stopping it. And then the lady goes, here, smell this. And I, I, I just went... And it was smelling salts. And immediately, bleh, like I puked all over the store. My point is, yeah, I'm a wuss. The, my point is fear was gripping me. And the fear of I'm going to get hurt. 
or this is going to hurt me outweighed any other thinking of how I actually will look or actually what's happening because it actually didn't hurt me. And so I asked the lady after I puked, I go, what's wrong? And she goes, oh, the earring just didn't go through. I'm like, oh, wow, that was a lot. I go, put it through. She's like, oh, I'm done now. I go, you put it through, like get it through. <laughs> and so she jammed it through with her hands. Needless to say, we got free, uh, free service that day. I didn't have, they didn't charge me for my earring. Um, but the point is, I'm being driven by this fear that's inside of me and it's controlling my mind so much that it's actually making me physically sick. And I've had this so many times where I've been in the dentist and I get a needle and needles don't even hurt in your mouth. Like really, they don't really hurt, but it's this tension inside of me, this fear inside of me that's actually causing my mind to think things that aren't even real. And you know how many times I've puked after a needle in the dentist office? I, I, I fainted once giving blood, like getting blood taken out of me. And in this, just recently, I got vaccinated for the COVID-19. And I'm the guy that goes in there. I'm anxious. And I, you know, try to high five everybody just to get my mind different. And you're not, you're not allowed to touch anybody, but you're guided into wherever I had to go in the hospital. And I sit down, I just told the lady, I'm not good at this. I, I hope you are. And so the, another nurse, she's massaging my back and she's like, you're going to be good. Look at all your tattoos. You're good. You got this. And I'm like, I know I go tattoos are different, but I, and I just said like, she goes, okay, put your arm down, play the piano with this hand. And I'm like, okay, this is dumb. I'm not going to do that. And I, I take a deep breath in and she goes, okay, done. And I'm like, I didn't even feel it. So something in my mind or the fear behind this has been removed because I didn't actually physically feel it. But typically there's a fear that's controlling my mind that comes out in my, my, my body. And so this is what's happening inside of us. We have these fears inside of us and they're actually coming out into our mind, causing obsessive thinking that's distorted or not even real and actually causing our physical bodies to be sick. Uh, anxiety disorders, panic disorders, um, you know, codependency stuff like our minds are controlling our bodies. And so this is what the recovery process looks like is actually getting all of these fears removed by a spiritual connection. So there's nothing that I can do to work upon this. I think that we can put some, some cool stuff of meditation and breathing and, and prayer and spiritual practices and going to therapy and, and going to all of these things. But we actually need the power of God to remove this stuff, to actually do for what we can't do for ourselves or any other human can't do. Otherwise, we're just working against uh, our own issues. When when I look at what our problem is in the big book, it says um, selfishness, self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our all of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, and and we you know run into the world around us. This is my experience without alcohol. I never touched alcohol until, you know, a couple years later and alcohol took away all of those fears. Alcohol gave me a lot of promises 
that are in our recovery books. But what it never did, it never casted out fear. It never took it all out. Um, and, and when I was sober, then I was raw and real again. I had all of this stuff come in. Uh, what it says in the Bible in, in John, 1 John 4, 1 John 4 in verse 18, such love has no fear. And they're talking about God's love. God is love. I heard somebody doing a step two uh, assignment where uh, they were asked to name God. And this person was actually not really, um, not really an unbeliever in God or agnostic, but somebody that, that was atheist that said there is no God, um, ab absolutely no God. And so she was really challenged with this assignment. How do I put on paper who God is? Uh, how do I, I don't understand that there is any God. And so she was given this assignment and she was just asked to close her eyes and to breathe in deeply and go, God, if you want to reveal yourself, if you're real, just let me know. And she goes, the weirdest thing happened when I did this. I quieted my mind. I took a deep breath and I saw a picture of a rose and the word love. And on my paper, I wrote love. And I'm like, that is the most profound thing I've ever heard about God. I'm like, whatever theology books and all the teaching on YouTube, all of that stuff. It's like an atheist actually saw a picture of a rose and the word love. And that was her assignment. God is love. And that's what it says in John, 1 John chapter 4 uh, and verse 16. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. What it's saying is that God is love and will come in and change the dynamic of your heart. And he will come and fill you with his love. This is what the connection is all about. And that's what the opposite of addiction is, is connection with God. And so, so addiction isolates us, removes us from family, removes us from our children, removes us from our bank account, removes us from our health. Addiction takes us away to isolate us, to be destroyed so that the enemy can have mind control and your body will be destroyed. That's what addiction is. And the opposite of addiction is actually connection. And so we connect together with each other. We have spiritual connections with each other. But what we really need is the connection of God, a spiritual connection to come inside of us and fill us with a different spirit. Because like I said, I was, I was born with a spirit contrary to the spirit of love. It was the spirit of fear. I was born into that. And as we live in God, has anybody ever lived in alcohol? Has anybody ever lived in drug addiction? Has anybody ever lived in food addiction? That's what we're talking about, living for something. And so this is what worship is. I actually live in God. What does it mean to, I think some of us in the addiction community understand what worship is because we've actually really given everything we've had and owned and, and could own to our addictions. And so this is what it's suggesting is that if we give everything in worship to God, he will fill us with his love. And as we live in God, 
our love grows more perfect. So this is a growth thing. We grow into it. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we were afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. I was unable to love anybody or anything, including myself, before I felt the love of God. And it doesn't mean that I was perfect, but it was mean... It means that God's perfect love started to cast out fear. And as I came forward in my recovery process of giving myself to him, you know, like it's a process and it's a transaction. God's not a magical, um, we can't use God to, you know, love is consensual. So I have to consent of what God's going to take away. He's not just going to magically take away. And I think some people use that as a prosperity gospel. It's a wrong gospel. That's not love. That's control. God's not going to magically make your life all better. You actually have to come and say, could you take this away? There's nothing I can do. This is a fear. This has been controlling my life. This is the nature of my character. Could you do something about it? Uh, and, And it's up to God to, to start inserting his love into you. And so where God's perfect love is, it casts out all fear. And so now we don't have to be perfect, but we have his perfect love. Uh, we don't have to be perfect, but we have his love in us so that we can love the world around us. And so that is something that I never understood what love was until I was given his love inside of me. And then I was able to it started with tolerating the world, but now I can love the world around me. And that's one of our guiding spiritual principles is that love and tolerance becomes our code. Um, I, I think we have to grow into it from, from my experience. I didn't just all of a sudden have this experience with God and then I was like a love bubble machine. Um, shooting out rainbows at everybody and hugging everybody. And, and, and I, I, I grew into that. And, 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 and that's what a good father does. He, he doesn't teach you everything at once and overwhelms you. He, he, he gets you in helping people at a rehab center. And then he puts you into leadership at the rehab center. And then he, he grows you and, and you continue this relationship. And, and the fear gets pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And soon, when you go to get a needle, you're not going to puke. <laughs> because the enemy has no ground to your mind because you have been restored back to sanity to to you have been restored into right relationship with God through the power of God and so um this is what we have a reprieve from that we're never cured of addiction but we have a daily reprieve contingent on my spiritual connection to God and that is in page 85 of the big book and so that's what it's like living one day at a time I don't get sober one day at a time I don't stay sober one day at a time that is like living in hell if I'm like white knuckling like one day at a time I'm gonna stay sober today Um, what we're talking about is I have to spiritually connect with God one day at a time. And, and through that, I have a daily reprieve of self, of ego, of this thing that builds up in me. It's kind of like the opposite of a cell phone. Every, Every night I go to bed, I plug in my cell phone so that it can be useful for the day ahead of me. It's opposite from us. At night, we unplug. 
You know, we go on a vacation, we unplug from everything. In the morning, very specifically in, in our book of recovery, it says upon awakening, we connect with God. So upon awakening, I'm disconnected and now I have to connect to God physically, mentally, spiritually. Just like I used to connect to alcohol, I have to connect to God. So every morning I wake up and I connect to God. And and there's an outline for that and an instruction how to do that effectively. And and yes, we can add our stuff and add Bible studies and add different types of teaching and and therapy and all of that stuff. But have I given my heart to the love of God? And, And so... Where there's fear, there's going to be mind control because that's how the enemy gets in. And so the, 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 the point of recovery is that I can recover from a seemingly hopeless mind, state of mind and body. And so the battle is in our minds and it comes through the roots of fear. And so I don't know if you can relate to that, but uh, we can just open that up to comments and questions and um, see if you relate to that. Recording stopped.